0: Welcome to Stories from A to Z with Mona P. I'm your host, Mona Pasanoff. Today we feature Candice Knapp, artist of wood and clay sculptures, teacher, and painter. Listen as she shares her life adventures from art school to world travels, from living in the USA and then Sweden with her husband Bjorn. Candy shares her sense of compassion color and authenticity with us. If you haven't already visited the Stories from A to Z Facebook page, please do so. There, you will see examples of Candace's work, as well as her and Bjorn with their tussie, a schnorkel, a schnauzer-yorkie mix. Hi, Candy. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? How did you
1: wind up where you're living? I didn't grow up anywhere in particular because when I was a child, we moved 16 times. We lived mostly in the Midwest and the Northeast and the Southwest of the United States. I was the new kid in school every year. In fact, sometimes I went to live two different places in one year. I was kind of by myself my whole childhood, and I amused myself. And maybe that's why I became an artist, because I'm very happy by myself. Tell us why you moved so much when you were younger. My father was a toy designer, and he was kind of an artist too. He worked for different toy companies, and they went in and out of business. Sometimes they moved the company. All kinds of things happened. He just changed jobs all the time, or sometimes the company moved. It was a different kind of childhood, I would say. And I spent a lot of time out in the woods by myself. That's like my favorite thing, to be out in nature by myself. It's later in life that I got to be able to talk to people and things like that.
0: I love being out in nature also. At what point did you realize that you enjoyed doing art or creating things?
1: Well, when I was young, I did different things. I did music because I took singing lessons for 10 years, and I liked to write a lot. So I wrote plays, and I used my father's tape recorder, and I played all the parts by myself, and the dog was my audience, and I would record that, and it was like I put on a play, but it was just me and the dog. Since my father was an artist, there was always art stuff around, And he encouraged me to just do art, whatever I wanted. Yeah, I was just left to my own devices. I read a lot also.
0: Today we're going to focus on your art career. Can you talk a
1: little bit about when that actually really got going? My fourth high school was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I had to decide if I was going to be a writer or an artist and the last minute, my father told me we're moving to Cleveland, Ohio. So there was a really good art school there, Cleveland Institute of Art. And I spent many months making a portfolio to apply there. And I got in. And it's a five-year school for a bachelor's of fine art. My parents only lived there for a year. Then they moved to Toledo. But I stayed in Cleveland for five years. And I got a really good training in sculpture. I majored in sculpture. At the end of the five years we had an exhibition for the students with the best grades and I won a prize which was traveling scholarship that had to be spent on travel. So I spent five months by myself, went to Europe, went to all the museums and, and churches. I like churches and I met someone that was also on a traveling scholarship. His name was Larry. And we ended up going to Africa, all through West Africa, across the Sahara Desert, down to Ghana. So it was like six months of really interesting travel. Kind of changed my life because it made me appreciate people who don't have much money, but who have a good heart. And it made me resentful of people who Liked luxuries because I saw a lot of French people in Africa who were living this lifestyle. Meanwhile, there were other people starving and who were really kind, good people. So ever since, I don't like really being waited on in restaurants or going to luxurious places. It kind of reminds me, you know, that other people are hurting. After that, I got a job in the paint-by-number business designing paint-by-number pictures in Toledo. And then the next fall, I went to graduate school, the University of Illinois, and I got a scholarship to get a master's in sculpture. So, yeah, I have a master's in sculpture, and how do you live on that? That was a good question. When did you, or how did
0: you, begin to realize this is what you wanted as your career?
1: It was the only thing I could think of to do, so I had three hundred dollars and a really old car, and I looked on the map. I wanted to be somewhere warm, so I drove to Houston, Texas, and I rented a room from a lady. Well, actually, I I didn't. I only had three hundred dollars, so I couldn't rent an apartment. But I went to the local Catholic church, and after mass, I asked the priest, "Do you know anybody who rents out rooms?" and He said, well, there's a lady who said she would rent a room to an unwed mother. So I thought, well, he gave me her number and I went there and I said, I'm not an unwed mother. I'm just an artist, but I'd like to rent a room. And she charged me $25 a week. I think it was because she had a daughter my age who was named Andy. My name is Candy. And her daughter uh, was an artist and her daughter killed herself we think she had a bicycle accident but we don't think it was an accident she took me in and we became very good friends and it was kind of like having me around reminded they said that I was good for her and she was good for me i stayed there for a year i've got a job in a furniture store in houston and then i got a job in a gallery i got all these different jobs but were they creating or you were like selling i was just selling I also rented a studio in an attic above a ceramic place, and I was creating in the nights and weekends for myself. I got into wood because it was cheaper to buy tools to work with wood than the other things I had done, like bronze and other things. So I, I started making art, and little by little, I got into galleries and things, and I was in a gallery in the Galleria, a very fancy place in Houston, and a priest came by and he saw my artwork, which wasn't religious at all, but he thought I could do religious art for churches. And he hired me to make, I think it was a carving of Mary, something like that. And after that, I had worked for the next 40 years because I'm, I'm a good artist and I've always had kind of a religious bent. I'm very interested in... In religions. I did this artwork for him, and then other priests talked to each other, and then Lutherans and Presbyterians. I made statues for churches and carvings for many years in Houston. Did the people whose churches you were creating for want you to be a member of their church? No. They just thought of me as like somebody who delivered a refrigerator. They ordered something, and then I delivered it. There weren't any, hardly any people who made sculptures for churches in those days. Even now, you can buy a statue from Italy, but there aren't people living nearby who carve statues. I I think a lot of artists don't want to do that kind of art. Why? Why is that? Because it's not cutting edge or avant garde or trendy. For me, it was a really good living for many years. And at the same time, I did my other sculptures and was in galleries, so I had like two kinds of work. And then I met my husband and moved to Sweden. How do we explain that? (laughs) Yes, where did you meet him? I have always been self-employed and worked from home. Carving all day and not seeing other people was odd, I thought, and I should do something that gets me out in the world. So I took a job like five hours a week at Berlitz teaching English. And that's where I met Bjorn. At the time, I was thinking, either I want to become like a monk and live in a cave, because I'm really drawn in that direction, or I should really get married and see what it's like, because I'm gonna die one day and I won't have experienced everything. And then when I met Bjorn, he was my student at Berlitz, I thought, I could marry him. I liked him, I felt very comfortable with him. Immediately. When I was teaching him, they asked me to take him on field trips. So I took him to the museum. And when you teach at Berlitz, it's one-on-one. There aren't other people in the room. So we talked about things. And, you know, I really liked him. So after two weeks, he went back to Sweden. And we wrote letters for a year and a half. And I went to visit him a couple times. And he came to visit me. And we got married. And then I put them on the plane back to Sweden. But the Swedish government wouldn't let me come without all this paperwork. And they took away my passport and sent it to Chicago and then to Stockholm. And I had to wait a few months. I got rid of all my possessions. I put my table saw and my kiln in the van, drove it up to Toledo to leave with my parents. And I flew to Sweden. And there I was at the airport with this husband that I had never spent much time with. And I moved into his house in Runninges It's outside of Stockholm, but it's in the woods. And I could walk in the woods every day. It was very nice. It's a beautiful place. And I lived there for a year. We lived in Sweden. And then I convinced him to come to America. And we moved to Connecticut. Why Connecticut? It was hard for him to find a job from far away. And he had a job interview in Boston and one in Connecticut with Saab. He got the job with Saab. We moved to Connecticut. And three months later, Saab was sold to General Motors and all 600 employees were laid off. So there we were. It was really too hard for him to get another job in this country because his English wasn't that good. I should have been a better teacher, huh? His English wasn't that good. He was a systems analyst, project manager, and this kind of computer jobs, it was hard. I put an ad in the Catholic newspaper in Connecticut, and I got a job carving a big statue of Padre Pio, a six-foot statue, and another job, too. We could survive until our lease ran out. Nine months later, we delivered the Padre Pio statue and drove to Florida it was either go back to Sweden or go to someplace warm. And we really wanted to be someplace warm. So we just drove down the coast. This was in February. We didn't feel good until we hit Florida. And we saw the the beautiful blue water in the motel pools and the palm trees and everything. We drove all the way to Miami, didn't feel right. We came up this coast. We stopped in Tampa because Connecticut neighbor had a son here and there was a meeting of the Swedish American Chamber of Commerce. We went to that meeting, Bjorn got to meet other Swedish people, he felt comfortable here, so we rented a house in Brandon and we went up back to Connecticut and packed up all our stuff and moved into that house in Brandon with no job, not knowing what was going to happen But we had money because we had sold his house in Sweden, which was a really nice house. So we weren't destitute. Little by little, I started to get church jobs here in Florida. And Bjorn, even though he was a computer guy, he had been a woodworking teacher earlier in life. He was a mechanical engineer, so he just came into my church business with me and we've had our two-person business for 32 years. That is a great story. Do you still do it, are you both retired? About maybe four or five years ago, we were able to stop doing church jobs. At the same time as the church jobs, I've been doing my own art. I did a lot of public art, and he helped me because he's an engineer. There's a big piece on Central Avenue in St. Petersburg that I did in 1995. the Enchanted Mangrove Forest. I think it's between 2nd and 4th Street. And I did eight pieces in the main library in St. Petersburg. I did the chapel for Tampa General Hospital. And I did a big bronze fountain at the water treatment plant. And a lot of different public art. And then had quite a few shows the most recent show was in Daytona Beach at the museum there, Museum of Art and Science. I guess the real high point was when I had a show in Taiwan at the Wood Carving Museum in Sanji, Maioli wood carving museum, and I had 11 pieces shipped to Taiwan and a really nice show there. I gave a speech and, and the museum bought some of my pieces and it was wonderful. They gave us a nice tour of Taiwan. I think you're the most
0: famous person I have interviewed yet. Uh, I don't feel famous,
1: but I've had a good life so far. Now I want to paint. How did you go from sculpting to painting? I minored in painting in school. How I got into painting was I kind of felt like I'd done everything I could with sculpture. It wasn't a challenge anymore. And also, I miss colors. In sculpture, everything is brown, you know. I used to put colors on my sculptures, but there's something about playing with colors. is so fun. I started painting, and for actually a few years, I was secretly painting, and they weren't very good. I kept at it and at it, and I kept trying to find what would be the right way for me to paint. And then I started painting water, And that inspired me and also because I took pictures of the water and then there were all these little shapes and things that you couldn't see with your naked eye. And I started painting those little shapes and they came out really good. I was happy with them. And those paintings of water have gotten in quite a few shows in museums here and there. And they were mostly what was in my show in Daytona at the museum. It's funny about painting, you're looking through a window at another reality. It's a very different experience and you can use a, a lot of imagination comes into it. But the sculptures there in the room with you, they're part of this reality. Even if they're weird, they're more solid, if you know what I mean. I'm trying to find my next thing that's not water to paint that also is, makes me feel like I'm in another reality. So I've been taking a lot of pictures in my backyard of plants and different things. Right now, I'm making a whole bunch of tiny paintings that could be big paintings, but they're small. At some point, I'm going to have ones that all belong together, and then I'll make a series of big paintings. The tiny museum
0: during COVID. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that idea came about? And you also teach students
1: in mm-hmm. a play class. Talk a little bit about that, please. I really want to have a show in a really fancy museum one day. I'm 72. I'm thinking it probably won't happen. What's a really mm-hmm. fancy museum? Museum of Modern Art, oh, okay. you know, the Hirschhorn, whatever. big one. I understand it probably would never happen but then I thought I could kind of taste the experience if I made it in miniature. If I designed a fancy museum and I made paintings for it and in my mind I will have had this show of these large paintings in fancy museum. I've been thinking about that for a long time and then COVID came along and my students didn't have a lot of time, because they stayed home at first, they didn't have a lot of time to prepare for our biannual show. So I thought, well maybe they could make little things, and I could make the tiny museum, and they could put their little things in the museum, and they could experience having this museum show with their work. I gave me a reason to make the tiny museum. It was charming, it was so charming, and they could see their things big, even though they were little. In fact, one of my students, she made a little painting, and she had always been making kind of timid paintings and small ones. But when she saw her tiny painting in the museum, and it looked as if it were four feet by four feet, I told her, I said, can't you see that as a big painting? And she went home and she made a big painting of that little painting, because it's all about, if you can see it, then you can do it. That was a really, really good experience. That's a great
0: story. You motivate people. And that museum, it was realistic looking. It was pretty incredible. Thank you for sharing the background of that. You also do clay. So you talked about wood. You talked Mm -hmm. about painting. Where was the clay sculpture piece in your career or in your life? When you're a
1: sculptor and you're in art school, the first three years or so you work in clay. Because generally you work from the figure well, in the old days, when I was in school, we did the figure in clay so that you learn to control your hands and your eye and to be able to make what you see or what you imagine. Clay is always the foundation for sculpture, and that's why I teach clay. And you teach that in Tampa at a Tampa regional artist on Swan. It's in Old Hyde Park. I've taught there for thirty two years every Thursday.
0: I didn't realize that. That's a very long time.
1: I must have gotten older in 32 years.
0: Do you have all the same students? Some have died. Oh, that's
1: that's not good. It happens when you get really old. Pretty much the same core students have stayed with you through all this time? Yeah. I mean, some have only been with me for 20 years or 15. I keep waiting for it to end so I can not have to go out of the house on Thursdays, but every... One dies and another one shows up. They do whatever they want, monsters or anything, all kinds of strange things. Someone recently said an artist never
0: retires. What are you presently involved with for this next chapter in your life?
1: Well, I'm making the tiny paintings. I'm becoming a painter. It's a big deal to change your medium like that. I wish I were a musician. I wish I could play music. I collect musical instruments of all types, and I stay with each one for about three months, and I learn to do a little something, and then it's not really it. I wish that were in my future, that I could express myself composing something with music. I don't know. Maybe that will happen. Maybe. You know, Grandma Moses painted her first
0: painting when she was 90. Yeah, yeah. So you may become a musician when you're 90. Who knows? Who knows? It's, It's something that I'm wishing I could do. Words of encouragement for those wanting to do something artistic who don't know where to start and or don't feel like they have it in
1: them. Yeah, I wish they would stop listening to the inner critic. There's that voice in in their head that says, I can't do this. You know, it's like they need to stop thinking of themselves that way. That Julia Cameron book, The Artist's Way, you could do the exercises in that. Everything is creative, even cooking or sewing or the way you dress. There's creativity in everything you do, so you can't say I'm not creative. You just have to start and don't expect to be able to play the violin the first week. I mean, you have to be kind to yourself. You start drawing or even with crayons or whatever, you just start. And then you don't judge what you do in some harsh way. That's, that's all.
0: That's the important piece is not to listen to the inner critic. I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you feel
1: we didn't cover that you would like To talk about? Well, it's funny. There are things that we like when we're young, and they come back into our life later on. Because I think about when I was really young, well, I was like in high school and junior, I was really into philosophy and religions, and I'm into all different Buddhism, Christianity, Sufism. I was really obsessed with that then. And then later on, when I needed to make a living, Religious art came back around and saved me financially. So it's funny how that would come around again. And then when I was young, I took singing lessons. I used to sing a lot, even like on stage, opera and stuff. And now I, I want music in my life again. When we lived in New Mexico, I used to write. I used to write, well, it's come around again. So I think there are some things that are inside of us and they persist, and they just keep coming back. And we know that that's a part of us that we need to pursue because it keeps coming back again and again and again. And that's interesting to me how that works, you know? Yes,
0: earlier you talked about color and why you wanted to paint because you get the use of color. I sew, and I love certain fabrics that are bright with different colors, That I can put together and make colorful quilts. Yeah. I just want to thank you, Candy. This was so informative and interesting. And every little piece that you spoke about could be its own episode. Because we could delve deeper and deeper. You've had such an interesting life as an artist and a traveler I want to thank you for spending this time with me and sharing all of your artistic background and interests. Thank you, Candy.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you
0: for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to go to my Facebook page, Stories from A to Z with Mona P., to see photos of Candy, her family, and her artwork. If you are interested in sharing a bit of your life through this podcast, contact me to discuss the possibility. Remember, everyone has a story to tell. As always, I would appreciate your sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Let people know that they can find me on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, you name it, we're out there. Click to become a follower. It's free and easy to do. The next episode will be available in two weeks, usually on a Monday. Till next time, this is Stories from A to Z with Mona P.